and welcome to Eyewitness Beauty, the podcast where we talk about the biggest stories in the beauty industry each week. I'm Nick Axelrod-Welk. And I am Annie Kriegbaum. I'm going to stop you right there, Annie. We're going to shout out our two new Milky Bouncy Super Jelly Star patrons on Patreon. We already had Gia, who was our first. We'll never have another Gia. There'll never be another Gia, but now we have two other $50 a month patrons, Sophie and Souf. Their last names have been withheld to protect their identities and their anonymity, but we appreciate their vote of support. They're really putting their money where their ears are. Or their employer's money where their ears exactly. are. Because this is research. You can't expense it. It's about the beauty industry. It's we're, we're breaking news. Annie broke the story about how, what was the f- the film production company? A24. A24 was hiring a beauty editor. That was Annie. No, a product developer. Product developer. That was me. Yes. Yes, yes. Also, like, because I've done a lot of Googling, Annie is also... <laughs> Annie's also credited as breaking the story about Haley Bieber starting the Road Beauty Instagram. Really? Where? Probably like the Indian Times or something like you that. You Googled me? I can't do that. I find really bad stuff. I don't like that. Well, you know what? I'm like a glutton for punishment. <laughs> you know what so. Nick did find the other day? Somebody started a Reddit for Eyewitness Beauty, which I have mixed feelings about. I'm all for it. I embrace it. I want people to populate it with content. Last time I reddited myself, somebody wrote an anonymous story about getting a boob job on Into the Gloss. And somebody said, (laughs) somebody was talking about how I had left Glossier and they're like, she's just getting boob jobs and hanging out with friends of famous people. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, that wasn't me. (laughs) I don't have a boob job. All of which is to say that like we read every single thing that's posted about us on the internet because we do. Because I like now, like even the we need attention, that we, even if it's negative, <laughs> <laughs> the reviews that we get on Apple podcasts, like know that we're the only ones reading them. So we got one the other day being like, I know you guys don't like like criticism in your reviews, but I'm giving this four stars. Do you want to talk about like from your perspective? Well, first of all, Nick, what do you think it is when people say like, I really don't like how Annie's mean to Nick? Nobody says the specific thing ever. So I'm just kind of like. Yeah, we got a review that was a four out of five, and she took away that one star because she felt that sometimes the tension between Annie and I, and specifically, like, Annie's seeming, like, you know, distaste and disgust and (laughs) (laughs) annoyance with me was so hard to listen to. That she had to take a star off the review. <laughs> but I wonder what it is. I wonder if it's like a specific thing. Is it just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't notice it. I don't either. In, you know, the people that are close to me in my life who listen to the podcast have never commented on that. But let's just, let's keep an eye on it, you know? No, I'm fine with it. Um, <laughs> because I think, what, I think what they're probably hearing is me being annoyed when you're like 20 minutes late to record. Well, that's what they don't hear. And I think that's that, that m- maybe what we really need to let the viewers <laughs> in on is the, the, the simple fact that there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that might give Annie a reason <laughs> to be a little 
pissy, you know? Let's just say you guys would have had a newsletter eight weeks ago. I'm working on this it. for my own little podcast. We're working on the newsletter. We just want it to be good. We hold ourselves to a high standard as we do you, our viewers. I have a non-beauty related thing that I want to talk about. Speaking of not understanding tone, not having all the context, needing more nuance in how we communicate. We're doing all of our communication online through Slack, email, text. Stuff is getting lost in translation. I prefer not to speak in emojis because I I feel, especially in professional setting, I really don't like speaking in emojis. I I don't like including emojis in every piece of communication I have with employees. No, you have to balance, right? Especially being a a woman, not to make it about this, but I feel like sometimes- Oh, we're bringing a gender into it. Okay. We're quite young as a company. So I don't speak with emojis. I, I try to keep things a tad more professional, straightforward. And I realized we really need a form of punctuation between a period and an exclamation mark because- I feel like if I just put a period, it's like, have a great day. People think that I'm being sarcastic or something. Like, oh, thank you. That's rude. But I I actually don't care. I'm not that enthused about them having a great day to where I'm like, well, have a great day, though. Like, have a great day. Like, you know, I just feel like the exclamation mark is just a little too desperate. And so there needs to be something in between. And so I would like to lobby for taking an asterisk and putting it where the period should be and having Mm. that be the in-between. That feels very girly, like a Delia's catalog. This is what I'm talking about. You're making everything about gender. You're like (sighs) women. No, I'm just saying like they used the asterisk as an apostrophe. And I'm just saying this is, you know, we would take it down. We would move it to the bottom. I understand the geography Mm -hmm. of what you're talking about. What I'm just saying is that you're trying to like make a form of punctuation that still feels business appropriate. And I would just think an asterisk is like a little fun. Business people use asterisks for all sorts of things. Yeah, but like, I don't know. I just think of Delia's. That's where my head goes. What would you put down there? Or instead Hmm. of an exclamation mark? What about an upside down exclamation mark like in Spanish? I don't know. I feel like that's still too excited. It's interesting that you think about these things because I always use exclamation points because I'm always concerned that people will think I'm being a bitch and I don't worry about them thinking I'm over enthusiastic, which is probably like my privilege that I'm just like, whatever, like I'll just use a lot of exclamation points. What a world. Is that okay? (laughs) Well, what's going on in your life? Great question. Thank you for asking. I don't have much to report. It's kind of just like the same old, same old balancing work and trying to also spend my goal. And this sounds really sad, but my goal with our daughter is to spend at least 20 minutes, two times a day, like uninterrupted, no technology, no phone, just like us two together. My husband and I both work full time and that is sometimes challenging, but I think it's really important. And I also notice when we do it by the end of whatever, we spend an hour together or something, because I'm not, I'm not timing it. There's no alarm that goes off after 20 minutes. We're just so much more connected. And every day she is more and more like alert. And it's going to be tougher and tougher to leave every morning. And also more, I think just more important to like have that time. But anyway, should we get into top stories? Yes. So everyone had a good joke about Facebook being down for basically a full day. Then Facebook, by which we also mean Instagram and WhatsApp, all down. Which sucked if you have a small business, because whether you like it or not, you're pretty much beholden to Facebook. And when I say Facebook, I mean Facebook and Instagram as your main 
customer acquisition tool. DTC companies spend so much money basically paying for customers to come in through Facebook and Instagram. And when you don't have a ton of money to spread around to different channels, you kind of have to concentrate on the ones that are quote unquote most effective. And that numbers wise is Facebook and Instagram. So anyway, it just brought to light, I think for a lot of people that work in marketing or have a business, you got to diversify and you got to have organic channels. Not just now paid. I apologize for not knowing the answer to this question, but did the outage have anything to do with the whistleblower who basically was exposing the nefarious policies and actions of Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg? If you want my (laughs) totally uninformed conspiracy theory on the whole thing, I think that, yes, these documents got leaked. In summary, they said, well, everybody's making a big deal about the one that said Facebook knows that it makes teen girls feel bad about themselves. But I'm kind of like, we needed a study to tell us that. (laughs) That's insane to me that people are like, what? (laughs) This is an outrage. Guys, come on. But there were some other things in there, too, that I thought were juicy that for whatever reason, nobody's talking about. One of the points was about human trafficking, that there's not really a response to instances of human trafficking that happened on the platform or not a good enough plan in place to address that internally. And also, Facebook is facing a huge lawsuit from shareholders. This is from the BBC. The shareholders are suing Facebook because they allege that Facebook paid $5 billion to the FTC to resolve the Cambridge Analytica data scandal. And the shareholders are alleging that that was to protect Mark Zuckerberg like personal liability, which that to me is like very interesting. We already knew it makes everybody, not just teen girls, feel bad about themselves. That's bad. And then I also saw that- Justice for these rich shareholders, like good God. (laughs) But I mean, the fact that Mark Zuckerberg has majority voting rights makes him so incredibly powerful. And and what the- Back to my conspiracy theory, sorry to interrupt you, but I think that he was like, oh, you guys have a problem with Facebook. (laughs) And then they turned it off on purpose so that he could make everyone realize that the power is in Facebook's hand. Yeah. Yeah. Which outweighs like all the, you know, scandal of the leaked documents. Apparently it like really crippled Latin America and China because WhatsApp is such a popular tool of communication there. I mean, I couldn't use WhatsApp to communicate with my partners in Hong Kong. Anyway, what did you do with your time? It didn't really bother me because time with Evie off your phone. (laughs) Yeah. Looking into her (laughs) eyes. No, it didn't bother me because I was working. I find like all the new information, quote unquote new information about Facebook prioritizing high engagement posts, which include like hate speech and alt-right and, you know, bad groups to be, as you sort of said, kind of obvious. And so, I mean, I guess it's the first time that someone on the inside has admitted that they know that they're doing this. And so that is shocking. And I think probably our generation is the last generation to feel suspicious of social media or to be suspicious of social media versus the next generation, which I think has just sort of grown up with it as a part of daily life and a part of their identity. You know, for me, it's very much like this different thing that lives on my phone. It's not real. So I don't know. But I mean, I think that certainly Evie's generation is going to have a very complicated relationship with it. Do you still use your Facebook account? I am really into Facebook groups. Oh, right, right. You got kicked out of one for being a I got kicked out of a mom group, but I'm in (laughs) these two gay father groups. It's really cute and I love it. I think that, you know, on the coast, we're a lot more like snooty about Facebook groups. That's interesting. I got rid of my Facebook account 
a long time ago. And by got rid of, I mean, a, you can never get rid of it because it's linked to so it many is, other. It's on yeah. my Airbnb. It's like I had to have it. But I just changed my name to something weird. Washed all of my posts and photos and everything. So I'm basically a ghost. <laughs> This one is kind of bizarro world. I am still like processing. So Ellen DeGeneres, famously mean, you know, allegedly mean, but I feel like kind of like everyone has, (laughs) at this point, it's not even alleged. It's like everyone has basically decided that all of the stories about how toxic her workplace was, all the stories of how difficult or mean, I think just mean (laughs) is the way that a lot of people would describe their interactions with her, launched or is launching, I should say, a new skincare brand called Kind Science. Bold move. (laughs) Random and bold. She's just kind of like pushing through. You know, she's like, we're just going to move past the claims of toxicity and we're going to call it kind science. It is called KS by Ellen DeGeneres. They're saying it's age positive skincare with groundbreaking results, science backed, plant powered. Skin-loving textures. Uh, It's a collaboration between her and official Victoria Victoria Jackson. Jackson. Do you know who Victoria Jackson is? No. No, I don't. She's in the National Women's Hall of Fame, which I didn't know was a thing, and I'm not. She also very smartly, 61 weeks ago, posted one of those light blue squares that says, (laughs) I stand by Ellen. I can't believe that she got her own square campaign. She got her own square campaign. She did. It was like her friends being like, I stand by her. Wow. So go Victoria. I mean, her latest post is her and Gloria Steinem. Gloria Steinem. Her husband's name is Bill Guthy. And he is the founder of the infomercial giant Guthy Renker. I have a question. Okay, so I. So she's I the told... wife of the guy who started Guthy Renker. Got it, got it, got it. So here's my question about. This. And Guthy um... Renker is proactive. Yes, sorry to finish. That. <laughs> People wonder why. <laughs> Get Continue. My question is, I know that we're trying to rebrand the whole conversation around aging, age positive, anti-aging is no longer acceptable to use that term. But Oh, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> I just want I, we need to correct ourselves. Guthy Renker is not proactive. Any I guess anymore. Oh, what is it? They are JLo Beauty, Meaningful Beauty, which is Cindy Crawford's brand. Yeah. And Crepe Erase. Crepe Erase. Best selling body care product at Ulta. Okay, my question is, I think we're missing the mark here when we're saying that we're not going to call it anti-aging, but then the line of copy here is embrace your age, comma, not your wrinkles. Well, guys, that's not it. I have wrinkles. There are 20 year olds with wrinkles. There's nothing wrong with wrinkles. I think this idea that we're like, we're saying like, no, age isn't the issue. The wrinkles are, you know what I mean? Like, I think we need to just start being a little bit more realistic about skin textures and the idea that having a wrinkle or wrinkles is so distasteful it's like very strange to me it is a good setup for our interview today you know people have a complicated relationship with growing older like they want to embrace it they want to feel good but they also there's certain things that when they look in the mirror or when I look in the mirror that I'm like I just wish I didn't have that I'm okay with getting older maybe but I don't want that but I guess what I'm saying is I actually think that the problem is we're associating wrinkles with aging. That's not what's happening here. Like everybody's skin texture is different for different reasons. Like there are teens with wrinkles. There are 40-year-old women that like don't have wrinkles. Anyway, I just think that the way skincare is marketed is that we're in a very confusing time right now. And nobody needs to feel bad about having a fucking wrinkle. I have one that's right on my right eyebrow because... 
I'm very expressive with my eyebrow. And yeah, Casey wanted to get it the other day, but <laughs> you said no <laughs> at the dinner table. He was like looking across the table. He was like, let me have my wrinkle. <laughs> so let me just get that. <laughs> but the problem is when people get Botox in their forehead, they look so angry and weird. They can. Not they Casey, can. though. Casey like has Casey. a way of doing it. Got it. Got it. Anyway, best of luck to Alan. Speaking of Botox and filler and young people, did you see that in England it is now illegal for people under 18 to have these types of procedures? So they can't have Botox or lip fillers as part of a government crackdown on cosmetic beauty procedures. And this is from The Independent. So this just went into effect on Friday, six days ago. I feel like this is great. I feel like you should actually have to be 21 before you can get these things. Your face is still changing. Things are still shifting until you're 18. So I think it's good that you can't be like adding filler and freezing things and all of that. And you don't want to because if you freeze your muscles in your face, then they become weak and then they stop holding up everything below them. And so if you're not going to the right people and you don't have the right like plan of action in place, you can actually aid yourself. It's like the people that get the, what do you call it, buccal, buccal fat oh, removal? The buccal fat pad removal, which is what Chrissy yeah. Teigen got, where they basically take out these fat pads in your cheeks on the inside. And so you have the kind of contoured hollow. look, all like the hollow cheek look. Yeah, which apparently won't age well because then you don't have anything below to kind of prop up what's above and then everything starts to sag. So then you're going to have to get a facelift earlier. Anyway, everybody just like relax. You're going to get hotter as you get older. Trust me. Your face will like thin out. You'll get like higher cheekbones. Embrace baby fat and just wait a little. Nick, we have some competition. Victoria's Secret (laughs) launched a podcast and we've made fun of Victoria's Secret over the years on this podcast because it is just the feather and Swarovski crystal encrusted little engine that could in that it should have died a million deaths and yet it's still alive and kicking. They recently introduced these new brand ambassadors, including Priyanka Chopra and Paloma to catapult them into a more contemporary discussion about body shape and size inclusivity. And now they're launching a podcast and it is called VS Voices, hosted by Amanda DeCadene. And the first guest is Priyanka Chopra. And I don't know. I feel like Victoria's Secret, I mean, we've had this conversation, but Victoria's Secret just needs to like stop and they can just make another brand. It's just very hard to like take that DNA and do something else with it. I feel like they really need to get a fresh new brand approach visually too and with the physical product in order to like make this shift because the pink line is still feels like very antiquated (laughs) like mall girl you know which works but they're trying to reach this more like woke progressive millennial woman who's aging and cares about different things and I feel like the branding and physical product needs to reflect that before they start just like putting out content being like, no, look, this is right. Am I crazy? No, I don't think you're crazy at all. They need high-waisted cotton underwear without all the tacky branding that we don't have to buy from Amazon that isn't made in a sweatshop. But I don't know. Allegedly. Allegedly. We love Victoria's Secret. We hear they have a lot of money for sponsorships (laughs) and we're open to that conversation. Something tells me they're not going to be calling us, but they do have a podcast. If you want to listen to it, it's called VS voices and apparently Priyanka Chopra is talking about how she defines herself racism her faith grief self-love and obviously Nick Jonas 
This I thought was actually very interesting, a piece of news, a transaction that happened this week, which was that LVMH officially acquired Officine Universelle Bouli 1803, which is the apothecary brand that we included in our gift guide. You can buy their lip balms and get your monogram or anyone's monogram on the lip balm. They're like a perfect stocking stuffer type gift. They were very early on in the no plastic packaging game. I remember when I first went into their store in Paris and Saint-Germain and all the tubes had metal caps and they were obviously aluminum tubes. And even like the toothpaste had like a metal cap. Everything felt very heavy and solid. And they make also water-based perfumes, which are difficult to create because the alcohol obviously preserves it. But the perfumes are beautiful. They sell candles. They sell face products, combs. It's like a very, very high-end Aesop, right? It kind of gives me Santa Maria Novella vibes, but... Yes. It was actually founded by the same team that reinvigorated, what's the Napoleon candle brand? The one that was like supposed to be the candle maker to Napoleon? I don't know. That was before my time. Cire Trudon. The same people that relaunched Cire Trudon candles then left and started Bouli. And now LVMH bought them fully. They had previously invested through their venture arm called LVMH Ventures, but now they are fully owned by LVMH. Apparently, there were only two stores, Bully stores, when LVMH invested in 2017, and now they have 30 stores, and they're especially popular in Asia, and they have 10 counters in Australia. Wow. I didn't realize all I thought they were like kind of just in, you know, the fancy parts of Europe. No, they're they're killing it. I actually just got an order from them too this week, coincidentally. I bought a bunch of toothbrushes. Really? They carry my favorite toothbrush. It's like a Swiss brand. And very soft bristles. Well, what's cool about what they did is they made their own products, but they also curated some of the best sort of classic or heritage products in personal care from around the world. Korea and France are the brand's other biggest geographic markets besides Japan. So it's Japan, Korea, and France. Happy for them. What are other beauty brands is LVMH own besides Sephora? These are the other brands that LVMH owns. Beauty brands. Guerlain. Aqua de Parma, Benefit Cosmetics, Makeup Forever, Fresh, Kat Von D Beauty, which is part of Kendo, and a brand called Cha Ling. I think you mean KVD Vegan Beauty. Yes, KVD Vegan. What is it like? Caritas, Coco Veritas. <laughs> it's like truth and love, and it's not like tattooed anti-vaxxers. Allegedly. No, I don't think that. I don't think either of those things are alleged. No, Kat Von D is. I know, I know, but oh yeah, she's it's not quite alleged. Open about she's it. like, I think she, it's yeah, been she said it. <laughs> This last story makes me a little bit bummed out. I think it's more of a topic starter. Yes, you're right. You're right. You're right. We're gonna reserve judgment. Ariana Grande released a picture last week for her upcoming REM beauty collection, and it's her in this clear space helmet. You described it as like a lighting fixture. Yes, I have a lighting fixture very similar to it in my apartment, but it's this like big orb that she had over her head. And some readers, some viewers were very quick to point out that it bore a striking resemblance to a Vogue cover featuring Varushka that was from... 1968. And then you look at the two pictures side by side and you're like, yeah, obviously that was the direct inspiration. It's the exact same picture. There's a ribbon around her neck. It's her hair around her neck. Oh, it's her hair around her neck. You're right. 
same makeup, like frosted pink lip, like the pearlized silver shadow with the cut crease. It's the exact same. It was a direct homage. So the question is, the question that we need to decide as people that do this for a living, when is it a ripoff and when is it an homage? Is it about a period of time? How many years is that? Like 50 years later? Is that enough time for you to basically do a one for one of an image or a concept? If the artists are still alive and working today, is that too close? Is that a no-no? I mean, have you ever had like any of your work ripped off? I have had my work ripped off. There are certain examples that have come out recently that I feel are very similar to things that I've worked on. And here's how I feel. I feel like people who don't have good ideas rip people off. And if you are someone who has good ideas and continues to have good ideas, then you don't need to worry about it because you'll just continue to have good ideas. So I never let it bother me because I'm just like, that person doesn't have their own good ideas. And if you do, then you can't be like too precious about the ideas you have. What if it was a really big person or brand, though? Would you feel differently rather than kind of like another like peer in the space? Yeah, probably. The thing I would say about the Ariana Verushka example is that I think it would have been more clever had her team found a way to like move the concept forward or to take an updated twist on it. Like the exact replica or replication rather of the picture to me is not that creative. So I understand having a reference, but then I want to do something new with it, right? Take it somewhere new, make it make it 2021. But I think what they did was a carbon copy. So that's where I would say the creativity is lacking. What do you think? I tend to think of it's like both brands or people that work on the thing are still in the mix and working and you're doing like a (laughs) rip them off. I think that is like the most egregious and like that's a big no-no. I think if you're like a bigger brand and you're ripping off smaller brands, that's a big no-no. And I think it's just like a bad move to not develop a good sense of I'm inspired by this, but this is how I'm going to make it my own and improve or evolve the concept. It's just you're not going to be successful doing what others have done before you. And if you are, that's great. There's actually a ton of examples of that. So unfortunately, it will keep happening. But you know, you look at Forever 21. Who's like another artist or musician or someone who has riffed on something but sort of made it their own? Can you think of any good ones? I mean, I can think of one which I was actually just talking about the other day. My friend Joe Z, who was a stylist and is now a multi-hyphenate, he was the original stylist for Justin Timberlake's solo career. He had this idea of taking Reservoir Dogs style modern rat pack and putting Justin, who was this boy bander, in like the skinny black suit and tie. And I like to say that Joe brought sexy back. So to me, he didn't just dress Justin Timberlake exactly like the rat pack. It was this modern interpretation of what that style could be. And he liked to find a new men's trend. Great homages happen. It's totally fine to do. You just don't want to have a reputation of somebody that does this, that rips people off. And this is not Ariana's first time at this rodeo. There were a lot of like accusations in the past about like videos she's done where people have said like, hey, that's basically just my video. I mean, that's happened to Beyonce. That's happened to a lot of 
you know, like shot for shot remakes of like big music videos that they've taken from like smaller artists. But the Ariana one for me, I'm not bothered by it. I mean, it was so direct. It, to me, it's not like they were doing anything shady, you know. But I, don't you wish then that they had had like Varushka in the picture or like somehow been a little bit more obvious? Like, I don't know. I just feel like they should have been a little bit more clever. I mean, is it clever? No, I would not describe it as clever. Unless we're going to see this campaign and brand unfold and then it's all going to make sense. And then we're going to be like, oh, they really... They got us there, you know, but I mean, no, I don't think it's like the most inspired, like it's clearly inspired by this shoot with Varushka, but I'm also not bothered by, I don't think that they did anything like egregious. Okay. I mean, it's not like, it's not diet Prada material. Do you think? I also think it's okay to be inspired. I think that is like, ultimately what it comes down to like everything comes from something. And I think it's just about putting a spin on it. It's interesting in music. I know we're kind of going on a little bit of a tangent, but in music, did you see how Haley Williams from Paramore recently got credited as a songwriter for Olivia Rodrigo, one of Olivia Rodrigo's songs? It's because there's like a melody that like sounds very (laughs) similar to a Haley Williams song. And it's interesting that in music, there has to be like a direct credit and then obviously like royalties paid. But in Mm -hmm. art, you know, like Emily Ratajkowski, you know, Richard Prince just literally screenshots an Emily Ratajkowski Instagram post and can sell it for, you know, tens of thousands of dollars without her permission. It's interesting that different industries work differently. There's definitely (laughs) a lot of gray area when it comes to visuals. Yeah, it's not the most interesting thing I've ever said, but (laughs) (laughs) it is what it is. I was like, you need a little inspiration in your life. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Anyway, I think we should get into our interview. This week on the podcast, we had the opportunity to speak with the one, the only, Norma Kamali. You've definitely heard of her, so we don't need to go through the whole story. Or if you haven't heard of her, you know some of the things that she's famous for. She is the one who created the voluminous, puffy sleeping bag coat, which is basically like you can wear a sleeping bag. with. It's a sleeping bag with armholes, but it somehow looks very chic on everyone. You'll see during the winter in New York, so many stylish people wearing these coats. She was the first fashion designer to take like sweatshirt material and turn it into not a sweatshirt. So for women, she was making dresses out of it. This is way before T by Wang came onto the scene. This is like early 80s, late 70s. We said, who better to check in with as we emerge from our houses and starting to drop the actual sweatpants than the one who can make a sweatpant into a dress and a sleeping bag into a (laughs) coat. And Norma Kamali, we should say, also has a skincare line and she will soon be selling her nut bread, which to me is one of the most exciting findings in this interview because just, I mean, I guess we'll just let her talk about this nut bread, but I'm sold. Whatever she's doing, she's 76 years old. She looks 30 years younger than that and... I love her. Here's our interview. Annie and I were tallying the number of businesses that you have before we got on the Zoom with you. And you have home products. So you have pillows and beanbags and probably fabric, like home upholstery fabric as part of that. You have obviously your fashion collections. And then you have olive oil. And now you have skincare, body care. Out of all of those businesses... I would imagine that your athleisure, which you originated, but you were well positioned for a return to sweatpants, so to speak, during COVID. Yeah, well, I think 
clearly as we got into COVID and we realized we wouldn't be leaving home, the idea of putting on shoes was definitely not on the top of anybody's list. And when you're not wearing shoes, you tend to behave differently and it's a more casual feeling. So we sold a lot of very casual, easy styles. And I even produced some things that were a lot less expensive, but simple, throw it in the washing machine, sleep in it, do whatever you want. And then as we started to open the door and leave the house, there was a big part of the population of my customers who were feeling like the world was passing them by, the chance to meet the mates that they would marry and have children with and live forever was not really happening. And they were at the door waiting for that moment. And when that moment happened, they have been shopping like crazy. And a lot of it, a lot of it has to do with weddings, going to weddings, going to a lot of weddings, getting married, being in a wedding, dressing up and feeling like getting dressed could be fun again and finding social gatherings to be a bigger part of their lives versus what had been happening for this, you know, interesting time. And so there's a lot of shopping, not for casual anymore, clearly, but for clothing that is saying, I'm going to interact with other human beings take a shower, wear shoes, do all of that kind of thing. I also feel like your clothes are the perfect kind of like step in between. And I mean, this as a compliment in between like athleisure and cozy, cozy core, so to speak. And then like the like Alayas of the world, because your stuff is less restrictive, even the, the ready to wear mm-hmm. than than a lot of designer fashion. So, you know, you can still sort of make it work if you're a few pounds over what you yeah. entered into COVID as. And the idea of it being comfortable, easy to wear and easy to take care of because everything I do is washable, wedding gowns, everything. I don't believe in having dry cleaning bills to continue paying for something that you already paid for. It's like having a pet. You Every time you have to take it to the dry cleaner, it increases your investment in that. And then that piece becomes so special that you only save it for special occasions, which to me just doesn't make sense. Everything you have, you should be able to wear at any time with sneakers or sandals or boots, whatever time of the year, and just wash it when you're not wearing it, wash it, and then you're ready to wear it again. It's not this very special piece that can only be worn at certain times. So I think the timelessness, the easy care, and the comfort really key definitions of what I do. And just it's sort of an organic thing because it's what I believe in personally. 
We were talking earlier because, of course, we, as part of our research, we read all of the beauty articles that you've done, especially around the launch of your book. And Nick was like, God, she works out twice a day. It sounds like you're always moving. You talked about you dance a ton as a form of exercise. All these things seem to tie back to this, like, lifestyle brand that you've built that really allows for that like your clothes are not restrictive if you wanted to get on the ground and stretch in the middle of the day you can do that wearing your clothes Mm -hmm. has this idea of ease always been core to why you feel your brand has been so successful you know my work puts me on the floor whether i'm hemming something or draping or pulling fabric rolls i mean i love the design process So when I come to work, I'm not dressed to be photographed. I'm dressed to be on the floor. And I'm working out a lot. I love it. It just is so important for me. I love having a strong body and feeling the power of the ability to be flexible, the ability to get down on the ground and get up right away and feel that that's the norm for me. So the clothes I wear, and I'm doing everything through my personal reference first, obviously, have to feel comfortable and they have to feel as if I can do anything in them and not be restricted. But wait, do you actually work out two times every single day? That's the intention. So if something happens and I can't work out twice a day, maybe do something extra on the weekend or whatever. Mainly, it's not because that's what I've decided. It's that I feel better when I do. I'm a big believer in meditation, but I'm not, because I'm such a movement person, I do an active meditation that's sort of like an extreme cat-cow that goes into a downward dog that goes into an extreme cat-cow, but it's rhythmic and it goes with my breath, right? So it's all breath, 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 breath. And you can imagine the rhythm of that. So I do a hundred of those. Now my puppy is under me when I do it. (laughs) So I have extra... Okay, you're going to ignore that Wally is... Dogs have a way of getting like right in in it. Yeah, anything you're trying to do. So as I'm doing the cat-cow, he's under my breast. You have to really tighten your core. Right, so he's like... And I'm doing it because it's efficient for me to meditate as well. And then I usually work out in the late afternoon and I'll do whatever I'm doing then and... It's usually an hour and a half, and it's a good balance. But, you know, on the weekends especially, or if I'm working away from the office, like Friday through Monday, I'm near a basketball net, and I'm obsessed with throwing baskets. I have to confess, I'm a New York City girl. I have never been to a basketball game. I don't know how the game is played. But I realized that I can get the ball in the basket. And I just did 50 in a row, except for two that I missed. So I don't know why. I have no idea why I can do it. But I love it. And it's really good for focus, hand-eye. And so I'll do something like that. Another kind of meditation in a way, because you have to focus. You can't think about anything else. I like doing different 
activities. And so that's one of those distractions that I have. I'm now almost 38 and I've been doing CrossFit or sort of like extreme weightlifting with sort of high intensity intervals for like 10 years. And in the last few years, I've noticed that certain things I was able to do or certain times that I was able to make have either increased or my skills have somewhat diminished or things are harder for me to recover from. And I attribute it to my age. And it's an active process for me to try to not be depressed about that, about the fact that like my body is not necessarily doing what it once did, or I'm having to work harder to get the same result than I used to. How do you deal with the age number going up and trying to maintain that level of activity? Well, Nick, I don't think it's your age. Personally, because I've exercised through many decades and I've tried different things. And for the amount of years you've been doing what you're doing, I would just recommend changing it up and doing something very different and being challenged by it. And I think you will see that you actually are becoming more fit in a new genre of workout. I think you're just tired of it and your body is exhausted of it and it's probably stretched it to the limit in that area. But there are lots of types of exercises that can be very challenging. And I always try to pick something that I think I can never do. And, you know, at 65, I decided I wanted to be able to do splits very easily. And I didn't think I could do them. And I didn't think I could stretch my legs out either side and put my stomach on the floor. But I did because I decided what I was doing, I wasn't getting what I wanted out of it. I sort of had the same mindset. Oh, maybe it's I'm not up to it. But all of a sudden, I was doing things that were much harder for me. And I was reaching those goals. So you need new goals. You're too young to say that your body is failing. To throw in the towel? No, it's not. It's totally not. I'm 76. If I'm telling you, your body is not too old for it. You've got lots to go before you could say something like that. There's a limit to how much time you should put into a certain discipline. It's so funny you mentioned that because my Eastern European ballet teacher like growing up, I think I was probably like eight years old and she was pressing my back on the floor trying to get me to do the splits. And she was just so ashamed of me saying, if you don't get it by the time you're 13, you'll never be no. able to do <laughs> Not true. Not true. I thought that would be like my biggest failure. It's all mind. It's so in your mind, right? It's what you visualize. You know, sometimes I see things and I want to do that. And I visualize me doing that. And then I take the steps to try to do it. And sometimes it takes longer. For me, I never did yoga because I hated all the chanting. I'm New York, you know, we don't chant. We don't do this stuff, right? So I hated all that stuff. Oh my God, I just want to work out. I don't want all this stuff. And then I decided, you know, maybe I should try yoga. I think it would be good for me to do it. And I had the hardest time because I'd done Pilates for so long and it's the inverse and the reverse of it. But now the things that I really 
thought, I will never do that. I'm doing, and I'm shocked that I am, and I love it, I really enjoy it. But my mind had to decide that I could. Before that, it was like, no, this isn't for me. I like that you're living proof around a lot of the things that we're taught are not possible or are frowned upon, especially in the beauty industry. And so it was actually very refreshing to read that you're not like a sunscreen Nazi, which you see a lot in our industry, especially right now. I'm sure you have seen like, especially millennial, younger millennial and Gen Z seems to be obsessed with kind of shaming people for not having the utmost sun protection, staying out of the sun, you're going to get sun damage. Getting a tan is now seen as not like a healthy thing to do anymore. What do you make of that new cultural like shaming to people? Well, in general, that's a huge other conversation, (laughs) quite heavy one. But I personally have issues with the ingredients in sunscreen, to be honest. That's where... I drew the line for me. I have lines on my face and I don't want to have a million of them. So I wear hats and I protect myself from the sun by covering myself. But I also appreciate the energy and the vitamins I can get from the sun. So there is a balance in between it. And I tried to create my own sunscreen product and it's sort of a little mafia thing going on with sunscreen. So I said, you know, I'm getting out of this because I am not wanting to deal with all of this stuff that this world is about. I do think that there are some sunscreens that are less difficult to deal with. And I think the EU has very strict rules for approving and all of my products are approved in the EU. And so for sunscreen, they're strict as well. And there are some sunscreens that are for children, for babies, for really young babies that I think are probably the safest. But I still think if you're careful and you're not just wanting to have wrinkles at 26. There's a vanity aspect of this. I don't want my face to look like the desert, the parched desert, but I do want the sun. I do want to feel the energy of the sun in my body and I'll protect my face with, I just did this baseball cap with a really long peak that fishermen use and I put it on my collection selfishly because I want it when I'm in the sun and when I'm running or walking, I want to have coverage. It seems like one of the themes in your career and certainly in like your wellness journey is resilience. And then I also think about having as long of a career in fashion as you have had. I don't believe you've, and correct me if I'm wrong, gone out of business or had to declare bankruptcy and restructure, like all these things that a lot of designers, even seemingly successful designers have to do because of the nature and the expansion and contraction of the different aspects of making fashion. You haven't had to do that. You've somehow been able to keep going. What do you attribute that to? I think early on, I decided that I wanted a creative life. And I decided that would be the barometer that I would use for any decisions I made in my life. And 
every business has highs and lows, times where you feel like in about a half hour, I'm going to go out of business or everything is so great. I don't have to worry anymore. I made it. So both of those are not real. But if you want fame and fortune first, it's a higher risk than wanting a creative life. Creative life means you may, nobody may ever know who you are, but you're reaching your goals. You may not make a lot of money, but you could possibly stay in business longer. And I believe I've been in the shadows for so many years, decades, where people didn't really know me. And that was the best place for me to be for longevity by people assuming they knew who I was through the clothes and how they felt in them. It worked far more in my favor than if I became super famous and super rich and then disappeared, right? So the longevity factor and my anonymity were really an important part of the decision I made in having a creative life. That takes so much restraint to be able to make that decision. I remember when we at Into the Gloss, we were looking to raise money to create what would become Glossier. And we had one meeting with a potential investor. We, you know, we gave him the spiel and he was like, I think what you guys have here is like a nice lifestyle business, but this is not a VC investable business. And I remember us leaving that meeting and thinking we had just gotten the worst feedback that you could ever get. This idea that all you could do is just have a nice lifestyle and it wasn't something that was going to blow the top off the world and skyrocket everyone into billionaire status. And now, I guess 10 years later... I'm like, you know what sounds really fucking nice is a business where you're able to support yourself and maintain the lifestyle you want to have, but you're not having to take on maybe it's other people's money or other people's money who then have an opinion on how fast you should grow Everything, or what yeah. ways you should grow okay. or how much you should be in front or behind the scene, all of that okay. stuff. And I know that Certainly, we've seen it recently with startup founders and also in the designers that you came up with where like people don't have that restraint and they mm. make bad decisions. They license their name to shit that they shouldn't and then it dilutes the brand. Is it restraint that you had or was it really just this North Star of creativity? Mm. It really was the fear of having to design by committee was so frightening to me, the idea of that, to give up this creative freedom, I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't think of how that would work. And I had to figure out how to make it work. And one of the things that was critically important was I had to learn how to run a business because most creative people don't believe that they're business people. They sort of reject the concept as if it's a disease or something. And I realized if I didn't know how to do that, I may lose my business. And so I had to learn how to be a better designer, not give up creative spirit, but also be aware of what people wanted from me. I mean, I... 
I sent a message about who I was, but then people wanted certain things from me. And if they wanted swimwear and I decided, well, I don't think I wanna do swimwear right now. Well, hello, think about it. Take the challenge on, because if that's gonna pay the rent, lighten up girl and make swimwear and it's not nobody's telling me what kind of swimwear but if people tell you what they want and you don't give it to them it's irresponsible it's just irresponsible and so i learned about numbers i learned about supply and demand i'm learning today every day covid created new rules so these rules are quite different. I'm challenged at this moment in time in a way I've never been challenged before. And I could go out of business tomorrow. We could all go out of business tomorrow. There's never a guarantee that you made it and that's it, right? What happens if you have some successful styles and your numbers are skyrocketing and then all of a sudden people don't want it anymore? What's the plan for them not wanting it? Yeah, Filene's basement is out of business, so there's nowhere. Where do you put the... There you go. You launched beauty relatively recently, correct? Well, I've been in business a long time, so I did beauty at different times. So in 93, just before I was turning 50... I decided I wore every kind of makeup you could think of from individual lashes to no eyebrows to big eyebrows to you name it, I did it. And I just thought, I don't want to mask anymore. I don't want to hide anything anymore. I want my skin to look great. I want to show my skin. I don't want to cover it but I want to look like I just worked out and I'm healthy and I look fresh. And by doing that, I didn't have to think about wrinkles or lines on my face anymore because the minute you start covering them, it looks like you have issues with age and I don't have issues with age. So I decided by showing my skin I could be successful in where my mindset was. So I developed a skin line that was about being able to not wear makeup and feel good about it. Feel good Wait, about it. Wait, so you out. you invented skincare as makeup. Skincare is not makeup. So the idea of no makeup makeup, by the way, always makes me laugh. I always think that's a crazy concept, but somebody's making a lot of money on it. It's a crazy one. But the idea of having skincare and healthy lifestyle as a way to deal with great skin that you feel good about showing. And then if you want to do eyebrows, mascara, lips, whatever, you can do it. But it's on skin that you feel good about. So the ability to do this and not feel like my face is coming off in my hands. I mean, I have not worn makeup since 1993. And so that was my first venture. Then when I opened the Wellness Cafe after 9-11, I used a new set of ingredients. The first set of ingredients was all through sea algae, mostly sea algae. And the second group was more from 
the work I was doing in the olive orchards and these very old fashioned recipes and remedies that I just fell in love with. And so I reformulated that concept and then I relaunched it again recently, but it's the same line, but I relaunched it recently with even a better formulation and a more sophisticated, but still old fashioned concept. So I started this idea of no makeup in 93. And what you're seeing now is the third iteration of it. So you're kind of known as an olive oil aficionado. In fact, you have a feature on Olive Oil Times, which is the world's <laughs> right. premier olive oil news right. source. Do you still make your own olive oil or? I get to pick my own blend for us exclusively. And it's truly the best olive oil you're ever going to have. I know I read in one interview that you did that you credited you know, consuming olive oil with some of your skin and your feeling of well-being. Recently, when Jennifer Lopez launched her beauty line, she basically said that I haven't had any work done. I think it's just olive oil. And it became like a meme on social media right. of everyone. It was like the world rolled their eyes because no one believed that olive oil was singularly this powerful to seemingly like freeze time. Is olive oil that powerful? Well, first of all, I think Jennifer Lopez is gorgeous, and I'm sure anything she says has some credibility to it. My personal experience is that, you know, I grew up on olive oil. My father was Basque, my mother was Lebanese, so you can imagine the amount of olive oil that was in the house. But it was used for everything, as for your hair, to keep you regular, for food, for you name it, 30 things I could tell you right away. I knew olive oil could take hair color out. If I want to take this color out of my hair, you can take olive oil and it'll take the color out. You really? refinish a piece of furniture. So the chemistry of olive oil is so extraordinary that the more you know about it, the more you realize this is a really incredible. The olives have been on the planet for forever. They've gone through wars and everything to survive. It's in the Bible. It is really gold. And I feel, and this is my own sort of feeling about it, I feel that because I consume as much olive oil as I do, I believe my skin benefits from it. I believe the vitamins and the nutrition in olive oil are so beneficial. And so the truth is, I do believe your hair can shine more if you consume olive oil. I do believe your skin can improve. And I consume a lot. I'm not one of those that believes fats are going to make you fat. I have olive oil every day. Like, are you drinking it or is it like just... No, I, I have things? it in food. But when harvest time comes, I'll be sipping lots of olive oil to pick the one. I can get drunk on olive oil. I consume so much of it. Again, saw in a story that you said you were planning to live till 120. <laughs> and Andy and I both responded, why? Why? You know, not that we don't, but why, why that long? So the idea of aging with power is a really important topic for me. 
And the conversation that I'm trying to have is that if you look at the long game, you live life in a different way. So I'm 76. If I think about, oh my God, 76, I don't know. I'm looking at all the things I want to do into the future. And I don't want anything to stop me. And I also know that I've read a lot about the cell turnover stops at 120. So that you can't fight. But I think if you think that you want to live to 120, the decisions about what you eat and your lifestyle become something to consider with that goal in mind. Now, I don't know my total genetic makeup and what my genes are going to tell me and tell my body. I mean, it may be, I don't know what it would be, but my mind is set to believe in the long game. And I think about longevity when I make decisions about how I'm going to take care of myself. It's not perfect all the time, but for sure, I'm thinking in the long term. And that's the goal. No sugar, right? No alcohol. Well, no alcohol for sure. Sugar is in everything. I mean, it's in healthy food too. I have blueberries, probably frozen blueberries every day. You know, they are low glycemic factor, but there is sugar in blueberries. So you can't give up sugar completely. So I find my ways of getting that part of the diet in by having a cup of frozen blueberries every day. And I love it. It's such a treat. And blueberries are so great for breast health and for women and longevity. And so you find things to make you happy that are good for you. So like frozen blueberries pureed as like ice cream, blueberries baked as... It's like on TikTok, I saw a recipe the other day that was one banana with oats and then you mush it up and then you put it in the oven and it was supposed to be banana bread. And I was like, that can't taste good. No. I guess that... To me, like when I think about living long, longer, I think... I don't know if I want to live a life in which I'm eating banana bread that's made of a banana and oats. Mm -hmm. You know, if that's the sacrifice is no fun. You know, I don't know if I want to do it. But I would imagine, though, given what you've already told us, that you enjoy eating healthily, like super healthily, and you enjoy the commitment to your personal wellness. I do. I mean, I, for instance... My downfall is bread. So I love olive oil. And if I have a big loaf of crispy bread and olive oil, I could eat the whole loaf of bread. No problem. And as much olive oil as the bread can soak up. But that's not a great thing. I mean, the olive oil is, but not when it's on the bread that turns into whatever else. So I was in the Caribbean and... This woman was making this nut seed bread that had no flour, no sugar, just nuts and seeds and just these incredible ingredients. And you could put raisins in if you want or whatever. And I could not believe how incredibly delicious this bread was. And so I learned how to make it. I'd slice it 
put it in the freezer, take out a few slices, put it in the toaster, put avocado on it, and smash up blueberries, you know, whatever. And oh my God, I found something I like better than that bread and olive oil on the nut seed bread. Crazy good. Do you have this recipe? I do. I do. Actually, it's in my book. And really? Can, yeah, it's in the book. There's a lot of good recipes in the book for substitute this for what you thought you couldn't live without, right? But I do think alcohol is a problem. First of all, we consume too much alcohol as in general. Not as a country, we're not as extreme as some other countries are, but... Alcohol is not good. It's not a health food. Yeah, I've interviewed a lot of people on health, hormones, and aging. Everyone says unequivocally, alcohol is not good. I feel like alcohol like had a really good publicist for a minute in like the 2000s when they were like, oh, red wine is great for you. And then like that publicist fired alcohol right. and now it's like back in the. <laughs> right. But and so grapes can do the trick. To, you can get those benefits from other things. But yeah, the idea of the quantity of alcohol and that the amount of sugar that's in alcohol in many of them and that it is just not good for you. And finding a substitute for that. And there are options. There are other options in our world now that people are researching. And I think it's very important to, especially for women who can't consume, their bodies just can't consume the amount of alcohol a man consumes. And there's a big difference in the effects. And the effects on hormones, whether you're young and your hormones are in development and you want to have children or whether you're going through menopause, the effect on hormones and for men too is really big time stuff that nobody really wants to talk about because the idea of relaxing with a glass of wine is so important when you're stressed out and you need to just chill that to tell somebody they can't have that chill time is too much to ask. What about cannabis? You know, everybody has to make their decision about what it is. I think alcohol is dangerous. I think cannabis, if you're an Uber driver, may not be a good idea at the same time. You know, so sounds like a personal experience. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. What about mushrooms? Like, what can we have? I'm negotiating with you. I realize that. But what can we have? I think there's a lot of information about mushrooms that should be looked at. And I think that there are options there. I think there are options, but alcohol should not be the option. When you get crazy on the weekends or like for a big birthday or for something, what does that look like? I'm basically a drug-free, alcohol-free person. I have to say, I... Is it like a Magnolia cupcake? What is it? <laughs> is this making Nick, like, want to drink? <laughs> no, but, like, you're getting freaky, and you're just like, ugh, the collection is done, and you're drunk on olive oil. What do you do? I'm a physical person, so let's just say That's I'm just activity. physical in every way. Cool. 
<laughs> and I don't need alcohol for that. I don't need mm -hmm. to be drugged. And I throw dancing into that too. So it's, I define myself very easily by the physical. And like honey on the blueberries or like well, you know, maple syrup. Not maple syrup, honey, certain types of manuka is not a bad idea in moderation. Okay. And also you can cut up ginger and look at the book. There's some good choices in there and try the bread for sure. Okay. By the end of October, I'm putting the Wellness Cafe up digitally and we will be selling the bread frozen to your house. So you could pop it in the freezer and you'll be able to have it. You can have four loaves in there and it won't spoil and you just take whenever you want. So I'm going to do something really annoying. I have a product of the week. It's the first skincare product that I've tried in a really long time that I'm like sold. I love it. I love it. I'm not one of those people that's constantly like rotating through different things. I pretty much go back to the same things all the time. And some of them are great. Some of them are fine. I don't really freak out over a new product for skin at least. But this is incredible stuff. And I put it in our Patreon newsletter that is going out today or might have gone out yesterday. Who knows? We're going to keep you on your toes. But you have to subscribe at the $10 level to get to it. this newsletter. But I'm telling you, this stuff is really good. Really but don't good. tell us what it is. Save it for the newsletter. I'm not going to tell you. They have to. Okay. That is a great idea, Annie. I won't do this every week. We'll be back to business as usual, where I tell you guys exactly the product I like on the podcast. But in honor of our first ever newsletter going out, I just want to, you know, drum up some excitement. I want to get people <laughs> to sign up. I don't even know what this is. And I want to, I want to know. Well, I like it. Is it for me too? Can yeah, definitely. Honestly, it's such a good, interesting text. Like, it's great. Okay, I'm in. I haven't done a baby product in a while, and I have one. So as I said, I'm in this, I would call it a mom group, but it is obviously a mom and dad group. And one of the things that the woman, Jill Spivak, who runs the group, who is a therapist, recommends is that once your baby is out of a swaddle and is just wearing pajamas to bed that she doesn't love the sleep sacks, which are basically like a sleeping bag that you put your baby in so that their feet are in like a sack. She not likes Norma their, Kamali. Not Norma Kamali sleeping <laughs> bag. This is an actual bag for their feet. She likes their feet to be free. And she recommended that we use like fleece onesies with like feet. And I, of course, being who I am was like, I want to try to find something that's not synthetic fleece that doesn't have chemicals in it. Microfibers. No, it's actually like they have to spray them with fire retardants. They are kids oh. safe, but fleece, I mean, it's plastic, so it would, mm -hmm. you know, light up in flames if exposed to fire. Anyway, so I wanted to find something organic an organic and or natural option uh, or alternative so that Evie is not freezing her little bum off. And I found them. They are thick sweatshirt material onesies, footies, they call them in baby world, by this brand called Castleware, like castle like a princess in a castle. It's castleware.com, princesscastle, W-A-R-E.com. It is the organic cotton fleece footed sleeper. 
and they are very thick. They zip from top to bottom. So the baby, you don't have to worry about like the zipper irritating the baby's neck. They've they kind of thought of everything. They're soft. They're cozy. Evie's never cold at night. The tough pill to swallow is that they are $54 each, which the moms in my group think is ridiculous because the Old Navy fleece footies are like $10 each. However, I only bought two of them and they're very forgiving in terms of size. And she basically just wears them every single night. We alternate between the two. And so you get your money's worth and they're cozy. They're soft. They're really cute colors and they're organic. They're really cute. I love them. They're not all like pastel-y, like purple and pinky. They're like cool. There's like a black and white stripe. Is it weird to put babies in black? I don't, you don't see a lot of black baby clothes. I haven't bought a lot of baby clothes in black because I, I decided that it brings me joy to see Evie in like crazy colors and prints and patterns. So I just put her in like ridiculous stuff. Like she has one onesie that is like pink snails just because I I was like, that seems fun to look at. But no, I think everyone should do what they like with their children as long as it's safe and healthy. Castleware.com. Castle, like a princess in a castle. Or a prince. It's simple. And they have these wearable blankets as well. I think what Jill's point was is that she just likes babies as they're getting to learn about movement and crawling to have their feet free. But there's there's certainly nothing unsafe about putting them in a wearable blanket if that is what you like. I think that's it. Shall we roll the credits? Let's roll them. Eyewitness Beauty is produced by Jessamine Molly of Seaplane Armada. Our theme music is by Danny Prezant, and our cover art is by Simon Abronowitz. You can subscribe to our Patreon. There's three different tiers. I think you can also pay whatever you want. Patreon.com, Eyewitness Beauty. You can follow us and, on Instagram. Can I say one thing? We will yes. continue to shout out every $50 Milky Jelly super fan. At the beginning of every podcast, we might even start writing poems about the $50 subscribers because our goal is to actually cover the cost of production. And we're about a quarter of the way there with patrons. Yes. We so just know the clock is ticking. Nick and I ran out of our personal funds. And we have to just, you know, rely on Patreon. At this yep. point, we can do about three quarters of an episode every month. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> also on Patreon, we're doing a Q&A episode next week, and your question will get bumped to the front of the line. Oh, yeah. Tell us about this Q&A episode. Yes. So we have a an OG product development expert, dare I say scientist. He'll correct us next week. Coming onto the pod, he is someone I've worked with for a while and I really trust and respect. And he's here to answer all of our questions regarding how products are made, what's inside of them, what does this ingredient do, is this bad for me? What do you really think? From somebody who does this for a living and has no skin in the game, he's a consultant, and he's worked for a lot of different companies over the years. So he really has seen it all. And so if you have questions on anything related to those things I just mentioned, and you are a Patreon subscriber, your questions get priority. And if you are the $50 tier, the Milky Jelly Super Bouncy Stars, right? Yeah. Anyway, if you're one of those, you get guaranteed answers on the podcast. So subscribe to Patreon. And yeah, that is happening next week. What What else do we need to tell people about how we produce this show? Do we mention Jessamine? We mentioned Jessamine. We would love more reviews on Apple Podcasts. It's how people discover the podcast. Share it. Tell people about it. And DM us, email us. And with that, 
Have a good week, okay? Cue the outro music. Jessamine, 